If you're trying to figure out how to navigate the tricky tightrope of parenting while you have questions, doubts, and wonderings about your spiritual journey, our podcast is for you. It doesn't matter if your kids are smalls, middles, or bigs. We'll explore what and how we're deconstructing from churchianity, harmful belief systems, and diving deep into the ways we can work this out in parenthood. We're also going to work through ideas for reconstructing a space for our families to thrive under new systems of love and freedom. We can't wait to bring you some hope that you're not alone and that it's really okay, even good, to explore all the possibilities that may have felt closed off in the past. Our podcast is going to offer you grace and space to be exactly where you are and who you are. We're really glad you're here and we're excited for today's episode. Listen in. There's no use teaching my kids Jesus loves them if I never teach them to believe they are worthy of love. If I don't believe, I am worthy of love too. Joy Vetterline. Welcome back to the Deconstructing Mamas podcast. Today we're talking with Joy Vetterline and we're super excited to have her. Welcome, Joy. Thank you, guys. I'm so happy to be here. And you are where right now? I am in Southern California in the near the beaches of Orange County. Okay, cool. Esther and I are here together today. Um, We don't usually get the opportunity to interview together, but we're on a retreat. And so we're here and we're really, really excited. So Joy, can you tell us a little bit about what your day looks like, what your family looks like, and then outside of kind of all of the things that you do to keep the family together and life together, what makes your heart come alive? Yeah. So I um, live with I am married to a man, my husband, Jeremy, and I have two kids who are almost eight and five. So they, um, my youngest just started school this year and that has really changed what my daily life looks like in a really amazing way (laughs) because now this is the first year where like I get to like take two kids to school and drop them off and have like five hours before I pick them up and I'm not like paying for it so yay Yay, yay. a really good year um and they've just had a really good school experience too but yeah so that's my you know during the school year that's that's my daily life I'm getting up I'm getting two kids dressed and ready and packing lunches and making sure we have all the homework and the backpacks and the Chromebooks and everything. And then we um, actually live close enough. We walk to school um, and I live in Southern California, so we can walk all year. <laughs> it's like really nice. And um, yeah, then I walk home and just kind of go about my business of writing and creating. And I juggle the work that I do with the work I do for my family. And I've just kind of like made it all be my job air quotes so that I don't feel guilty doing either thing. It's just, this is all part of the work I do. Sometimes my work involves going grocery shopping and sometimes it involves a podcast interview. Yeah. Then I pick my kids up and from then on, it's just all about those extracurriculars. That's what we do. (laughs) And then the summer comes and it all blows up and we just like try to stay alive. Yes. Amen to that. So what do you do kind of in free time, whatever that looks like for you that you just love to do outside of all of that? Yeah, I do enjoy a good TV show. So (laughs) 
love that. I um I really enjoy a show that I can get into or a good book. I don't read anything super serious. Um, I'm more like I read and watch to escape reality. So I don't like things that are too heavy. But yeah, lately I've been trying to just sort of get in touch with the things I like doing. So I have a lot of I spend a lot of my life in a music background. So I've been trying to like play music, write more songs. Yeah, just like get creative in like broader ways. Right now my work is mostly just writing. And so I'm trying to branch out into other creative things. And that's really fun and life-giving. So I love that. I'm a creative too. So I do like theater on the side. So I have like that writing piece of myself and then I just like love to do theater. And so I just do it on the side and it doesn't have to get me anywhere or anything. It's just something that I do. So so I love that you're exploring just like those things that you just yeah. On the side and they don't have to do, be anything, but just for you. Yes. When you're a content creator, like you are for other people and you have to be a creative for other people to be a creative mm-hmm. only for yourself is. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. Yeah. But then I'm always like, Ooh, could I, could I turn this into something? <laughs> maybe. And maybe, maybe, right. Maybe you could, yeah. maybe you don't, but there's the freedom to do either one. Yeah. Which is so nice. Right. This is a, a little anecdote. But my daughter does theater too. And I've thought about seeing if I could find an adult one. Yes. But in the meantime, she, yeah, I just over a few months ago, she like came up with this character concept and like acted. She was like, came up with this pop star that she wanted to be and act out. And she was like, mom, can you please film a behind the scenes documentary? Oh. of me as this pop star and I have a little bit of film like editing background so I ended up making it and um, oh, yesterday I, I finally oh. took all the footage and put it together and had a little video and it's like oh. behind the stars and it was really fun so Joy can you tell us what your faith background is and then share I love this question one thing just one I know it's probably eight million but one thing that you believe differently than say you did 10 years ago Yeah. So my background is evangelical Christianity. My dad became a pastor when I was five and we moved to a small town in Alaska and he was the pastor of a church there for most of my childhood for nine years. So like five to 14. So all of those like growing up years, I was a pastor's kid. And then we moved to moved to Washington state and I went to youth group and stuff. And then I ended up going to a private Christian university here in Southern California. After that, I got into church ministry and was doing that really up until three years ago. So as I've like gotten to know people all around the country, I would say I wasn't in like a super strict fundamentalist, like super conservative evangelical backgrounds where there, um, you know, I had a mostly positive experience with it. I don't know if that's like a West coast thing as opposed to like a Southern thing. I think we're a little more like chill here. I'm sure there are exceptions to every rule rule, but in my experience, it was like complementarianism wasn't like overt, but it was just kind of assumed and in the background, but nobody was ever like, you can't be a pastor. Like you need to submit to your husband, but it was just sort of implied. There was no women pastors. All the women were directors, but there were still women in leadership. They just got paid less, you know? So yeah, that was my, that was my background and what I really grew up just soaked in everywhere. I would say I have come pretty far in the last three years from that background. Once I started deconstructing, it's been a pretty quick and steep slope for me down the slippery slope. 
So I would say for sure the probably the biggest thing that I don't believe that I would have like committed my life to, and I did commit my life to working in a church 10 years ago, is just the belief in um, the existence of hell as a place of eternal conscious torment. And that I had a lot of loved ones who were going there and that it was my duty to help try to witness and evangelize and persuade them through my good works and my loving demeanor that there was a better way, that there was the hope of Jesus to save them from their sins and all these words that sound, feel really strange coming out of my mouth now. But yeah, that was a big part of my life. I just don't worry about that anymore. I never really realized that the word evangelical was exactly what it says like Mm -hmm. you're supposed to evangelize people Mm -hmm. for keeping them out of hell that is what it is and you would say oh share the good news and I'm like well first you have to share terrible news and and that doesn't sound like that good a news that you are horrible and that you're going to a place of eternal conscious torment but we have the answer it sounds a little bit more And Liz and I have a good friend who's in sales and marketing. And she's like, that is the best sales pitch you could (laughs) ever have. Make them afraid. That's what we do. We make them afraid. We create a a need for them. And then we tell them that we have the answer to that. Just come here, do this, this magic thing, and then be part of our community. And we, we have the answer to your fear. It's just a giant marketing pitch. We talk all the time about how when you take hell off the table it changes the entire way that you interact with human beings. I mean, completely. And it changes the way you interact with your kids, with your family, with people who are different than you. It just changes everything because you no longer have an agenda. You just can sit with them in humanity. Yeah. It turns everything into like a crisis mode. And so Mm -hmm. it's like nothing else matters because this person's going to hell and you really miss like all the richness of what makes someone a human. Like there's so much, there's so many gifts within humanity mm-hmm. that like, I just missed out on because I thought I like knew something more and knew better. And it's really sad. I feel like I just lost a lot of opportunities to enjoy people. Yeah. Yeah. I love that idea of just enjoying people, mm-hmm. just enjoy them. People yeah. are really cool. Right. Yeah. So when I found you, I was like, oh my goodness, somebody who's speaking my language. (laughs) (laughs) So you provide a lot of very practical help for those who are, I would say, deconstructing toxic religious systems. You do it on your website, on social media. So what sparked your interest in pouring like your life into this venture? Mm. So even when I was in like an evangelical church setting a vocational ministry, I always really cared about the people who felt like they didn't belong. I think on some level, I realized I, even though I like got to the highest levels of like being on the executive team of the church or whatever, I always felt like I was an outsider. I was just like pretty good at masquerading as an insider, but I never felt connected. And so whenever I got on stage to do the announcements or whenever I did something, I was always like trying to target the person in the room who was like there and felt like they didn't belong for whatever reason. And so when I left church ministry and I was trying to figure out like what I'm supposed to do, I still, I realized that like, I don't have to be in a church to talk to that person anymore. And that really people who don't feel like they belong in church probably aren't in church. And so like, maybe 
it's actually better now that I can like find them. Cause like they don't want to go to church cause they don't like being there. And so it's really evolved over the years. First, when I was writing, I was still my own faith. I was still very Christian. And so I was talking to, I called it Christian misfits. And then over time, I'm like started deconstructing and changing my beliefs a little more. And I'm like, oh, I don't know if I'm a Christian. And I was started getting people who were like, that word triggers me. And so now I've changed it to spiritual misfits. But yeah, I just, I see a lot of Obviously, there's a lot of stuff out there for people who are still finding a lot of meaning in the evangelical approach to God. And I can really like respect some aspects of that, you know, where that works for some people. And then I was seeing a lot of people who were really active and doing really important work in calling out the church and criticizing and holding the church accountable. And I really appreciate and admire that work too. But I was feeling like, what about those of us who like still feel like we're spiritual people who still want to care for our souls, but all those old pathways, like they're all tainted. Now I can't listen to worship music anymore because I was a worship pastor and it, there's just too much time up in that. But like, do, do I get to like experience like wonder and joy and like some sense of being part of something bigger than myself again? Um, And so that's really what's inspired my interest in this topic of like, surely if there is a God and if that God is um, the source of creativity and imagination, then surely there is more than one way to find your way to God. Love that. It's so funny about you said about the worship music this weekend, our book club is a group of eight women who are in the more deconstructing space. And we were, we took, we said, okay, let's listen to a bunch of worship songs. <laughs> and there's a, a former worship leader in that group. And we were deciding which ones we could even tolerate. <laughs> and the craziest thing is we were like, oh yeah, this is okay so far, so far. And they were like, wait for the bridge, wait for the bridge. Oh, the bridge <laughs> wrecked it. The bridge just oh, said God. like, you know, his debt, my debt to pay. And I'm like, oh no. <laughs> But it was going along like, God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. And then it just slams you with, you suck. And yeah. he paid everything and narcissistic God is back and all this. Yeah. Aren't you lucky that he deigns to love you? Yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. so lucky. And I did, it was, yeah. in the end, I think we had three out of like 50. Yeah. <laughs> could wow. maybe keep, and Jeez. they were only okay in the end. I think that the idea that so many people in church feel like they're on the outside. Yeah. yeah. And in a lot of ways, I think I love the church, right? Like big C, big C church overall, this idea of community. And, but I think in a lot of ways, I think we, we need to start over because that just doesn't, doesn't look like safety and freedom anymore for people. We sort of gone too far in this other direction where like, I don't know if we can any longer kind of expect people to like push through their trauma to come back to the church. I think it's like, we need to create this, this new space to, you know, allow people to feel that, that safety to just journey. Right. Yeah. I think the pandemic definitely provided Mm. a different way. I think that was one of the gifts that came out of the pandemic was maybe these more online spaces where Mm -hmm. people can be anywhere and they can belong to places yeah. Um, with others who share their heart, but not necessarily their, you know, their local community, but yet yeah. you can 
and that's our group. It's at, we meet on Zoom and we are from all over. We have somebody in California. We have people mm-hmm. in Pennsylvania and New Jersey and just like, no, you can belong here. You, yeah. you know, we just want to provide a safe place for people to wrestle out their stuff, which is what you're doing, yeah. which is so fabulous. I just think it's yeah. really great. <laughs> I love your art for the people who don't belong. I just love love it. Well, you know, whatever we do, we're just trying to save ourselves. Right. So (laughs) it's like, as I'm going through therapy, I'm like, okay, this is why like, this is why I've branded myself a misfit. Okay. I have some more work to do. (laughs) Right. right. Yeah. That's so cool. So I'm going to read the quote that we read at the beginning again, if that's Okay. I'm just going to read it out loud. There's no use teaching my kids Jesus loves them if I never teach them to believe they are worthy of love. If I don't believe, I am worthy of love too. And I love that quote. And I know it. Fe- I found that it fed something inside my soul. Ooh, am I worthy of love? And I think so many people struggle with this idea when it comes to parenting ourselves. First of all, parenting ourselves. And we have another guest coming on this season, Shelly Robinson, where she has a whole Instagram account called Raising Yourself. Because and just what exactly what you just alluded to in therapy, you're learning. Oh. Oh, I yeah. actually created this for myself, my own <laughs> healing journey. Yeah. I love getting sneak peeks because of course your quote is like just a very cool thing that you put out there, but I love the sneak peek into the deeper reflection on that. So if you could share the behind the scenes to that quote and what really means for you. Yeah. So I, when I was working in this church, my kids were really involved in the, especially my older, my youngest was mostly a baby during that time, but kids were involved in the preschool and the Sunday school. And it was like, I was working three services a morning. So they were going to church for three hours, you know, four hours every Sunday. And I don't know. I just, I think as I learned more about how the human brain works Um, I've just been learning a lot about like our right brain and our left brain. Our left brain is where we learn or where we process intellectual things like words, problem solving, reading, like all that kind of stuff. Our right brain is where we have like feelings and emotions, um, where sort of our nonverbal sense of self Hmm. is formed and all of our like knee-jerk reactions of character and what we believe about ourselves, all that's formed in the right brain. And yet most of what we do in church or what Christianity as a whole promotes as discipleship is like, read your Bible, study your Bible, um, listen to sermons. Like it's a very intellectual process, but information doesn't go from our left brain to our right brain. It goes through our right brain to get to our left brain. So by the time we learn something, it's already sort of like bypassed our sense of who we are. There's a really good book about this. I don't think I have it on my bookshelf. It's called The Other Half of Church, I think. It's really fascinating because that's what they're tackling. Like our discipleship in churches is fruitless because we're not looking at the whole picture of the brain. So as I've learned more just about psychology and how the brain works and my own mental well-being, I've realized that the greatest gift I can give my kids is a secure attachment to me where they feel completely safe and loved in our relationship, no matter what they believe or what they don't believe. 
And I realized that I was even guilty a little bit of trying to, out of fear, shove some religion down my kid's throat and like, be like, oh, you know, there's a, there's a, they're praying a prayer to ask Jesus in their heart. Like, do you want to do that? You know, cause I'm like, uh, feeling this fear that my kid's not going to be in heaven with me someday or that my kid's going to be in eternal conscious torment. And, and yet like how unsuccessful those efforts were and how realizing just how much that damaged their ability to choose for themselves. I mean, they're so little and we're just like, ask Jesus, like make a lifelong commitment before you even know how to read, you know, before you know how to read. I'm sorry. Pick your lifestyle now before you even know what life is. (laughs) But yeah, so just realizing that like, if they don't believe that they're lovable, then they're not going to believe Jesus loves them. First things first, let's make sure that they know that they're loved. And then I took it a step further and realized like, well, I can tell them I love them, but if they can sense in me that I don't love myself, they're not going to believe that they should love themselves too either. I think just realizing, again, raising yourself, I realized that like my work, the best mom I can be, the best thing I can do for my kids is be healthy. And as I get healthy, I am able to love them in really healthy ways that they can trust because they know it's coming. They can sense it's coming from a healthy place in me where I'm not giving them love or loving them because I need something from them because I want them to do something like they can tell. I'm just like loving them because I have extra to give and they're seeing me model how to love myself well. And maybe just maybe they'll believe that about themselves. And I actually, I mean, I truly have gotten to the point, like I could care less what they believe about God. Like that is not my job to decide for them. Like my only job is to just set them up to feel confident in whatever they go into. Cause like how many people do we know that raised their kids to be Christians and it didn't work. Like they did everything right. And it didn't work. And their kid is ill-equipped, right? So ill-equipped to handle a world of varying beliefs and like needing to know how to get along with people who believe things that are different. And yeah. So it's been striking me. And again, here you are as an example, how many people we've had on our podcast that are pastor's kids or Mm -hmm. missionary kids, Mm -hmm. which I'm one of those (laughs) yet we were not equipped. We're up here going, Oh, I got to learn to love myself. (laughs) Um, Basic life skills here. Yeah. Basic. It is true. It's, it's basic life skills. And a lot of parents in the evangelical church and probably where I would have been, I started deconstructing before I had kids, but where I would have been is just, you know, you're constantly, you spend all of your time, right. Trying to get your kids to believe this kind of certain thing. And then you're missing all of these other things. Like I, at what late twenties and thirties, I'm like raising myself, like going back in time. And my parents were wonderful people, right? They didn't know any better. And so now I'm going back in time and trying to sort of reparent myself. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of friends or, you know, former friends or people that I used to do life with, right? Air quotes, who are trying to kind of protect their kids from the world. And then when you have a kid that enters the world, which they all do, they just Mm -hmm. don't know what to do with it. And that creates even more trauma and ultimately is just really, really harmful. Yeah. Yesterday was with a friend and she said, I used to think 
the best way to conquer my fear was faith. Hmm. Going back to faith, going back to my roots, going back. And she said, I now, when I go into a place of fear about my kids, I have to go to love. Hmm. It's like the difference now is faith and certainty used to be Mm -hmm. what you did with fear. And now she's like, since I've gone on this deconstructing journey, when Mm -hmm. I am afraid, I move into love. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to write that down. I'm going to have a big banner Mm -hmm. around everywhere because that is exactly what I think for me, toxic and rigid religious systems definitely do is they want you to go backwards into what they would deem faith, which I don't even think that that is faith, but they want really certainty, not faith, but certainty instead of love. We'll get right back to today's podcast episode, but we wanted to give a shout out to a few of our Patreon supporters, Amanda French, Megan Daly, and Emily Rodriguez. Thank you so much for your support. For just $3 a month, you can be part of our private Facebook group and help us keep the lights on at Deconstructing Mamas. And now back to the episode. The other thing that makes me so mad now is how much within, and I think you're right, within like fundamentalistic religious system. Fundamentalistic, super califragilistic. (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) Fundamentalistic religious systems is that we try, we put the pressure of solving all your problems on your spirituality. Mm. And that every problem you have has a spiritual solution Mm. and that you can solve your problems using your spirituality. um, If you just try hard enough and just getting some distance from that and learning more about our brains and how we're actually wired and realizing that is like fundamentally impossible because of the way our brains work. We will never be able to overcome some of our issues just by trying hard because of how deeply they're encoded in the wiring of our brains. And it really has to be an intentional process of like going back to those super painful childhood things and dealing with them and like letting all the little parts of ourselves that we've locked up in our brains because they got hurt. Like we have to like find them and free them. And only then will we actually experience freedom from our problems. My husband and I joke, we joke that he was like deconstructing when we met. We just didn't know that that's what it was. <laughs> so for a long time, I was like, why aren't you the spiritual leader? And oh, yes, I oh, I have the that. same story. Oh, um, We're all going, oh. <laughs> but um, yeah, but we joke now that like, we've both started therapy and we're in couples therapy and we're like, oh my gosh, like therapy is providing for us everything that Christianity promised, but never delivered. Like freedom, joy, peace, abundant life, like resolution and like growing as a person, like all of these things have come out of therapy. (laughs) Like they did not come out of me being a worship pastor and like putting together five really on topic, awesome songs with great transitions and it's super (laughs) like awesome, like under the offering prayer, like that changed no one's life. Yeah. So funny. I just say, is it the Holy Spirit or is it B minor? How glad are you that you didn't marry the guitar playing Bible verse Mm -hmm. at my small Christian college? Like that was like the thing, like, and my husband's (laughs) not like that at all, but he is a safe place for my heart, Mm -hmm. which is way more important than any of that stuff 
Ugh, it just, I know a lot of people who did marry that person and they're still married to that person. And and that's, can be really challenging because they love each other and they have a life, but they're in different places spiritually, um, you know, and that's really painful. Yeah. I'm glad I married a rebel at heart because he was always questioned everything his whole life. Mm -hmm. He just started to question, you know, 13, 14 years ago. And I was like, oh my gosh, what are you reading? Who's this Richard Rohr guy? Oh, Richard Rohr, go, love. What are you doing going to New Mexico on some weird retreat with some Richard <laughs> Rohr? He's not like He's you pioneer. Know, and I and he would come back and I'd be like, whoa, what's going on? But he really started us on the journey and he's a supporter. I'm a leader and he's like on the disc. Yeah. I'm dominant and he's supportive, but yet he was the one just because yeah. of his own religious freedom, I would say, his own journey to sort of move us into this place so as he got free it just provided a place of freedom for everybody around for your whole family and he ended up being a spiritual leader right like you (laughs) he is he started this journey for your whole family and um, there's this wholeness and this vulnerability yeah what did you just say i said jokes on you you're the spiritual leader after all yeah seriously jokes on you yeah oh my gosh uh, so if you could preach one message to say 50,000 people in a stadium, yeah, what would it be? What would be the crux of that message? I would say that you as a human, you already have everything you need to find your way to God mm-hmm. in whatever way you want to, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it. I did a series for, you guys know Liz Milani. I'm addicted to Liz Milani. I remember the week and I was like, oh, those two know each other. It was like one of those things again. I'm like, yay, two amazing people meeting each other. Oh, I like, she was really one of the first people I found that it was like, wait, what you're doing. That's what I want to do. Like find the in-between, like be hopeful, but just like throw all the rules out and just like have fun. I wrote a series for her called Reclaiming Spiritual Freedom, walking through all the ways of just sort of like all the different paths that we were given to take to God. And it was a really powerful writing experience for me because I was really kind of like grappling with a lot of that and and writing it was like sort of a breakthrough for me of we were all given like so much gifts as a human. I, I think that's like my biggest aha moment is just like how much is intrinsically in us as humans, that is like, just so good. Mm. I just got this picture of like, we arrive on this earth and there's this huge wilderness ahead of us. And it's meant to be explored. And our curiosity is meant to lead us to explore in all these different ways. And just like to see like the goodness of life, the vastness of the divine, whatever you want to call it. And what religion did is sort of like set up shop at the beginning and say like, okay, but just so you know, the wilderness also has a lot of dangers and for like 15 bucks, we'll take you on a tour. We have the path and we will show you the right ways to go so that you can stay safe going through the wilderness. You're going to die literally (laughs) if you don't go with us. And so we're like, oh, okay. And so all these things that were innate in us, they sort of took them and like, bottled them up and sold them back to us. Okay. Here's how you pray. Here's the right way to pray. But prayer doesn't belong to religion, all cultures, all over the world throughout history. Like we all have this instinct to like pray and like have some sort of connection to something bigger than us. Like that wasn't ever Christianity's to own. That's a human thing that we get to own. So if we can sort of like take prayer back and say, you know what? that's one way to pray. How can I also, how do I pray? What's my 
my organic way of praying, then we can experience the fullness of who we are in the fullness of whatever spirituality we want or that we are drawn to. I think as I realized that just how much of our humanity was sort of like co-opted by religion, that it was never theirs and that it's still ours and that we can take those back and that we have the freedom to like check their formula and do things our own way. Other people, external influence can help you, but you get to choose who those influences are. You have everything you need to find your way to God. We want to connect to the divine. That's just what we have inside of us. And there's a million ways to do that. When you can enter into your own space and have permission to be your full self is when the process is no longer thwarted and you have freedom to connect to the divine, something bigger than you Mm -hmm. on your own terms. And there's where relationship happens. Relationship doesn't happen when so-and-so other person is in connection to God. It happens when I am, and that means I have to be myself and that has to work. However, right. We're all learning so much. Thank God we're in 2022 where we're learning how unique we all are. And we need to, you know, lean into that instead of lean away from that. So I love, I love that. Well, when we were first discovering prayer kind of together as a group and like our small group, which is just, I think our church right now, you know, Esther kind of brought up this idea of breathing for people. Mm-hmm. And that has been so healing to me when I'm having a hard time. You know, I struggle a lot with anxiety and panic attacks. And so when I'm really struggling to have a friend say to me, I'm breathing for you in this moment mm-hmm. when I literally feel like I cannot breathe. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. that to me is so unbelievably beautiful, Christ-like, God-like, divine, spiritual, just sort of the most beautiful thing for someone to, to be thousands or hundreds or whatever miles away from me and say, like, I'm in this moment, I am literally breathing alongside of you, like powerful. That is so powerful. And it's just us sitting with each other in our, in our humanity, which really isn't all that hard. We just have to be willing to do it and kind of take away all this other, like, you know, mumbo jumbo that we've, we've been told is the right way to do it. Mm, yeah. So good. Yeah. All right, Joy. <laughs> So you spend a ton of time as we've been talking, encouraging other people along there, deconstructing their toxic religious systems, but how has it played out? And if you can, and we're okay, if, you know, depending on how private your family is or how much you want to make those boundaries, but maybe speak to what it's done for you in your own parenting journey. And what's been the hardest part about having a five and an eight-year-old going along this journey with you? Mm-hmm. And what's been the thing that's given you the most joy in it? Oh, mm-hmm. and that's your name. And by the way, that's my middle name. So there's that. Oh, <laughs> that's that. I think the hardest thing I kind of alluded to earlier is just realizing just how much my fear negatively impacts them and just having to take responsibility for the ways that I was trying to coerce a religious choice and experience in my kids, co-opting their freedom to choose and just having to own that and apologize for that. Probably the hardest part has just been trying to figure out like, because when we left our last church that I was a pastor at, it was really painful. It was really traumatic. And we lost that community mm-hmm. in like a day. And it was just like, once I didn't work there, like people who like considered us family just didn't even like reach out at all. Like I didn't even get a text like, Hey, sorry, you lost your job. It was just like, we just stopped existing. And mm-hmm. 
So just trying to figure out how much to bring my kids into that pain, you know, wanting to be honest about why they see mommy crying or why we don't go to church anymore, but not wanting to like poison them against specific people, you know, that they might end up in school with because we still live in the same community, you know. My kids don't need to like bear the weight of me venting. But I think what's been really cool is just realizing that I think especially once I realized like, oh, I don't actually really think that I believe in hell and I'm not worried about my kids going there. Then I just got to be curious with them. And then it was like, well, I don't have anything to lose by being honest with them. And so we'll have a lot of conversations where especially my daughter who remembers things from preschool and Sunday school, little tropes and little things will like say something and I'll be like, Oh, you remember that? Do ya? Like, I'm so glad that's what you remember, you know, just something about Jesus or God or whatever that I'm like, Oh, I don't know. But it, it ends up being like conversation. I'll be like, yeah, you know what? I used to believe that, but you know what? I'm actually not convinced I believe that anymore. And I'll just kind of explain to them like, yeah, I was raised to believe a certain thing, but the more I've thought about it, like, I just don't think that that's what God does anymore. And then I try to be like, but what do you guys think? That's the key for me is like, just keep trying to say like, but what do you think? And trying to like, just in that question, letting them know they can have a different opinion than me, Mm -hmm. that um, spirituality is something that they can ask questions about and explore. But beyond that, it's really just what I said. Like, I don't even, I'm not trying to give my kids any sort of like, they should probably know some basics about what are the religions of the world and what are the main tenets of it just to like an academic, like well-rounded approach. But I don't even really do a lot of spiritual teaching with them. I don't even feel comfortable saying like, God wants this for you. Cause like secure attachment, that is my like prime directive. Like, yes. how do I need to arrange my week so that I'm in a healthy place emotionally so that I can be present for them and whatever comes up for them without reacting myself and create a safe space for them and make sure that they know they're loved and that their feelings are okay without triggering anything in me. Like that pretty much takes all of the energy I have to give. I'm just kind of like trusting that if I do this work, they're going to be okay. And that's really like the most beautiful thing. And when you think about it, like we kind of encourage like exploration and safety for our kids in like all other areas. And then somehow when it comes to like religion or spirituality, it's like, you need to walk this straight path and you can't think for yourself. And that's really dangerous. So many parents right now who are walking this journey are sort of in that space, me included, where you're sort of like, kind of want them to know some sort of spiritual thing. They'll believe in God and this divine being. And so I want them to sort of know that, but I think you kind of hit the nail on the head when you're saying, when you're kind of creating this space for autonomy, when you're creating these sort of safe spaces for your kids to explore things in their own way, you're really equipping them all the more to explore that and find Mm -hmm. that later on. Because like you said, it's in all of us. It's so Mm -hmm. obvious that it's in all of us. We're born with this innate sense of something greater. And so they have it. They Mm -hmm. have that in them. They just need to um, have a safe space to, to journey. But that's the hardest thing, right? That's the hardest thing as a parent is to create that space. Like that's harder than anything. Well, and the other thing that I'm realizing, like, yes to everything you said, I think the thing that I'm catching myself even now realizing is that like, oh, the work I'm doing 
is spiritual work. (laughs) Even though I don't talk about God in any of it, like everything I'm doing with them is spiritual because all of life is spiritual. So we don't have to like label anything. We don't have to be like, oh, now it's time for religion. It's like, no, if I'm loving my kid and investing in them and like trying to figure out like who they are and put them in opportunities to get to live out to their fullest realization of who they are. Like that is spiritual parenting because that is their spirit. That is what makes them come alive. That is like what gives them joy and energy and who they are. And like, that is a very spiritual practice for them, just as it is for me to Mm -hmm. lean into what makes me come alive. My two daughters are actually in our book club and they're on the retreat with us (laughs) and they're older And so it was very interesting this weekend to watch other people watch us interact Mm -hmm. and they've seen us on zoom, but never in person. And one of the biggest things that came out (laughs) this weekend was just that them watching my faith journey go along. My spiritual journey has been one of the biggest freedom for them Mm -hmm. to change and grow and transform and switch. And I'm sort of still going on this and we're doing it together Mm -hmm. and I'm a learner and I'm a teacher. Mm -hmm. They're teaching me things and have helped me along my own journey. And I'm still teaching them things, but we're all in both processes. We're teaching and learning. And then it puts us all on the same level. It's not like, Oh, I'm so much older and wiser. But I even think when Jesus said, become like little children, it's like, Oh, I have stuff to learn from you. Other than my husband, which we talked about a little bit, it was my very contrary 13 year old at the time that was like, no, there's no God. No. And I was like, what if you're right? What if you're right? Like, and listening to him and not being like, there is, oh my gosh, you're going to go to hell. I'm so afraid now. Let's take you back to church and take you to somebody who's going to deprogram that out of you. I went to like, oh, wow. What if he's right? Yeah. And so then we sort of are able to walk the journey. And I always do that. And I think we can do that, not just with our kids, but with other people. Yeah. What if they're right? And that's, what's helped me. I know to lean into other religious traditions. Mm-hmm. Like I'm yeah. like, Oh, what if they're right? What if there is something powerful in Buddhism? Yeah. Oh, there yeah. might be, Oh, what if yeah. there's something really powerful in native American spirituality? Yeah. Oh, reading, braiding sweetgrass. I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is crazy. Mm-hmm. The things you can learn when you're not just stuck in some little spiritual right path bubble. And we talk about this a lot too, like for, I'm a young mom, Joy, you're a young mom. Esther has older kids. There's, you know, a lot of people listening who have older kids. Like Esther said, it's not like, oh, well, we didn't raise them this way. So we screwed them up. For me too, like I was raised very conservatively and, you know, my dad was having kind of his own deconstruction thoughts, but it wasn't really part of my childhood. Mm -hmm. And as I was a teenager and young adult and he's deconstructing and I'm watching him deconstruct, it's giving me freedom to Mm -hmm. find this new path. And so Mm -hmm. at any age, we are able to create spaces for our children or just other people around us to feel the freedom to take this journey. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So cool. So Our big mantra here and our name of our newsletter is called grace and space because that's our big thing. (laughs) Give yourself grace, who you've been, who you maybe are now, and then space for who you're becoming. So I'm going to ask you this. What is something that you have to show your past or present self grace for? And then how about something in the future that you want to give yourself space for? 
definitely a work in progress because I'm still mad at myself for this, but, um, I have to give myself a lot of grace for all the years I wasted being afraid to be myself, Mm. specifically being afraid to express myself creatively. I spent my whole adult life up until three years ago, pouring all of my creative energy into making other people's ideas look good. And most of those were like men who were in charge. Some were kind and appreciative and gave me credit and freedom and really helped kind of train me, especially in the early days. And some were more narcissistic and just kind of like took advantage of it. And I wonder sometimes where I could be at creatively or in my career, if I had just like took a chance on myself and believed in myself, but I just had so much programming that, you know, I needed to like read the Bible and like, these were the ways I needed to express myself spiritually and join a small group and work at a church. And, and I have, I got to do a lot of really cool things. Like I got to make videos and write DBS songs. Like I got, I got to be really creative and so there's a lot of good memories in there, but now just to get to create my own stuff and be like, Oh, I have good ideas. Like I can invest the work and creativity into my own ideas, but haven't even hit 40. So that's, that's the thing I have to give myself a lot of grace for. And something that I hope my future self can give me grace for is just just how much I continue to evolve. You know, I've made this, this genre of writing, this niche of writing my work. And yet I find that like my beliefs are changing. Like I'm learning and growing so rapidly that I'm like, gosh, I just branded myself one way. And like, now that's already like obsolete. Like I'll like post something on Monday and by Friday, I'm like, actually, I don't believe that anymore. And so I'm trying, like one of the reasons I try to give other people a lot of room to like change their minds is because I need a lot of room to change my mind. I hope that I can look back and just be like, no, Joey, we're all over the place. You're just like a curious person and you just learned a lot and it took you a lot of places and the, the constant evolution of faith and growth and spirituality. I just want to have a lot of grace for myself to be exactly where I need to be in the moment and not feel ashamed if I'm moving around a lot of places. Yeah. And like, what space can you give yourself now for your future self? Yeah, I think Yeah. I'm just having some, like my mind is spinning right now. Cause I've been chewing on this kind of question a lot about like, where do I go from here? Like, and I think that if I picture where I want to be, I don't want to be anywhere because right now me feels like I should go somewhere, but it's not where I actually want to go. And I don't want to find myself in the place where I should be and not where I want to be follow what's life-giving, even if it's like taking me off of a path that I kind of thought, you know, that maybe was a good direction for a while or, you know, yeah. Yeah. But I had an old therapist who would say like, don't shit on yourself. Uh Like don't shit on yourself. And I think that's kind of like what you're saying is like, you just want to be present in the moment and take those kind of like little stepping stones forward or back or wherever, just be able to follow yourself one step at a time and not need to have any kind of end goal in sight. Just Mm. be, just be right. Just be. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that. I think the idea there for you to continue to pursue your own true self Mm. and not pursue what 
in the past has been told to you to be. You're giving space for who you're actually going to become and not other people's ideas of who you should become. It's just, it's powerful. Not that process is long and slow. Yeah. But I love, I love that you said about the shoulds and nots. Oh, so yeah. good. Yeah. So good. It does connect to parenting because I want my kids to see me model figuring out who I am and going and being that person and, mm-hmm. and putting the hard work into it. And what a privileged position to be in, right? To even get to say like, I'm going to work on what I want. We don't all get that. No, I don't. I'm choice. That's a privilege, but it's one I do have. And so I take it seriously to say, well, let me not squander this on doing stuff that doesn't seem like what I'm really passionate about and what I'm, you know, meant to do. Topic of conversation about the whole Maslow's hierarchy of needs and the privilege that comes with having our basic needs met. Mm-hmm. And I, I sometimes can move into a place of guilt about that. Like other people are working five jobs or in Tanzania and just trying to get by on finding food or whatever it is, or even in the United States here where there's poverty, such great poverty that people are in survival mode. And I've been thinking a lot about the privilege that I have of moving up that ladder of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And my personal job then is to figure out, like if I'm up here at this level, With theory, that is my job. That's kind of my job, but I can move back into like, wow, then how do we solve those other problems? How do we solve the problems at the lower lower level? And so that's that's exactly what you're doing. All those people who are impoverished in their souls, never feel like they belong, Mm -hmm. have nobody. They've been outcasts everywhere. And that is such a poverty of soul, so much loneliness. And yeah, you're theorizing it out over here because maybe- you were that person and maybe you found a way to belong to yourself or you're learning how to belong to yourself and then wanting to give that to the people that maybe don't have that privilege is so powerful, so powerful. I hadn't thought of it that way, but yeah, that has been the thing I keep coming back to, like with so much going on in the world and just realized, oh, wow, I really can't solve everything. Like what's my piece of it? And I just keep coming back to, oh, my piece is to help people get out of these like stuck places so that they can figure out who they really are because maybe who they really are is helping if I can help like five people unlock and be able to meet whatever needs they're supposed to meet inadvertently I'm helping meet five different needs that's sort of been my like I feel like this is the piece I'm supposed to do but yeah it is hard to just like see fires everywhere and just keep being like okay, I guess I'll keep typing, you know? But I know like when I first saw your stuff, you put a fire out in my soul. So Mm. why not? And how cool is that? That then now here we are eight or nine months later and I have the privilege of interviewing you. It's just crazy. And you don't really realize the impact you're having. You're just made a post and I read it and I was like, oh, thank God. Oh, thank God. Someone is speaking into my soul. One of the things that I'm like always reminded of, and I know not everybody has a belief in Jesus and we're all coming from like all sorts of different areas in life. Mm -hmm. But something that's always been so comforting to me at all stages of deconstruction is this idea that like Jesus just, 
he didn't do everything when Jesus was on earth. He didn't do everything. He didn't put out every fire. He didn't save the entire world. He really kind of stayed in this small geographic region and touched a few lives and had kind of his followers and his people around him who then carried it on. And so that's really like a model. We're not gonna be able to fly around the world in Superman every, every <laughs> like hard thing. Life is just hard. If we can just kind of reach out to one person and be a lifeline, we've done something amazing. Yeah. Totally. So on that note, of how much I love your stuff. Can you <laughs> tell? I, I feel like I'm a groupie to everybody on the podcast. I love I'm it. Sorry. I love it. But I am a groupie because so I'm funny. new to this. Esther and... will always be your biggest fan. Oh, Every, right. Everyone and anyone. Esther's everyone's biggest fan. I love the cheerleader role. That's just who I am. Yeah. world I'm needs more cheerleaders. Everybody likes being cheered. So. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's fine. But it's true. It's really genuine for me. People are just so cool. And it's probably one of my favorite reasons for doing the podcast. Liz and I say this all the time. We get so discouraged and then we hear your story. I'm like, wow, how cool were they? Every time we end and we shut this recording off, we say, oh my gosh, I love that person. They're so cool. (laughs) So I am a genuine cheerleader. All to say, where can people find you? Oh, thank you. Yeah, I am on Instagram at joyvetterline. I have a website, joyvetterline.com. And on there is where you can find, you know, all the ways to connect with me. Yeah. We're just sort of like kind of in it together and it, it's been really fun. I love that. That's really, really cool. Well, it has been such a joy, dare I say, (laughs) such a joy to talk with you today. It's just like Esther said, it's, we love just meeting new people and hearing where they are. And just so many people have so much wisdom. It's just like really, really beautiful. So thank you so much for being willing to come on and talk with us. Yeah. Thank you so much for the invitation. I really love what you guys are doing, trying to bridge the gap of deconstructing and parenting. I mean, that's, that's my life I'm living every day. So I'm really glad to see that you guys are, are out here doing this work. So thanks for letting me be a part of it for a day. Well, that's it for this episode on the Deconstructing Mamas podcast. We love that you tuned in and hope that this gave you a little bit of grace and space for your soul to breathe. Don't forget to catch up on any of our episodes that you missed. And remember to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Deconstructing Mamas. That's where you'll find all the information that you need about the podcast, as well as on both of our websites, estherjoygets.com and elizabethpetters.com, as well as our brand new website, deconstructingmamas.com. If you would like to support the podcast, please leave us a review where you listen and especially tell others about the show. Thanks for listening and come back again for our next episode. We can't wait to be on the other side of your headphones.